Happy New Year, church. So glad that you joined to worship with us today. And I'm also thankful that thanks to technology, there are a lot of others joining us. So we have folks that are joining us online. We have two other campuses that are worshiping with us this morning. Our Lake Carroll campus with Pastor Lucas, our Six Mile campus with Pastor Caleb. Would you join me right now in just welcoming them to worship? Take your copy of God's Word and turn near the end of the Bible to the little book of 2 Timothy. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. As I bring a message that's become an annual message called, Come Before Winter. Time is running out. I feel like I heard that a billion times in the last few days of the last year. Every email I got, time is running out. When you turn on the TV commercials, time is running out. You would drive by stores and see signs, time is running out. Wanting us to take it advantage of those last days, those last hours to give or to buy or to go. Time is running out. The Apostle Paul, perhaps greatest follower of Jesus to ever walk the earth, an incredible missionary, is writing his very last words, his last will and testament, as it were. And he says, time is running out. That's part of the message that I want you to hear today. As he says these words, he adds another phrase. You're going to hear it twice. Time is running out, so do your best. Did you say do your best? Let's look at the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, how would, how would you like for your name to have shown up in the Holy Scriptures as a deserter? I mean, you, feel, you kind of feel bad for Demas. Demas, goodness. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Way to go, Luke. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. Whoa. Name and names. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. In my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. 
What a phrase. In fact, why don't we say that phrase together? But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Let's say that. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me. Some of you need to hear that today, so let's say that phrase together. The Lord will rescue me. Let's say it. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus and Erastus who stayed in Corinth and, and I left Tro Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best, he says it again, but he adds something. Do your best to get here before winter. To come before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Perdens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, it's with open hands that signify an open heart and mind that we ask of you, give us what we need that we don't have. Teach us fresh and new things from your truth today. And make us different. Jesus, make us more like you. And holy God, who calls us before we ever choose you, would you call out, Holy Spirit, someone in this place to salvation today? And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. You are the reason we're here. It's all about you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. And all the people gathered said, Amen. So Paul's writing these last words. I can relate to what he's saying. I feel like I can hear my mentor saying some of these same things. In fact, my dad's words ring in my ears. Son, just do your best. Maybe before I took a test, just do your best. Before I, I went out onto the field or onto the track in sports, just, just do your best. Before I went onto the stage in music or in performance, just do your best. Or even in ministry, just do your best. <laughs> Some of you have heard me say, I remember when I first started ministry, and I was part-time with working with students while I was in college, and Man, it didn't take long for somebody to get upset with me, just like they did with the Apostle Paul. And I didn't know what to do, so what did I do? I called my mentor, my dad, and I said, Dad, told him the story, and I expected some consolence from him and some great encouragement, and my dad said to me on the other end of that line, Son, you need to get thicker skin or get out of the ministry. <laughs> you know what I said? Hey, I speak to Mom, please. <laughs> Just do your best. Paul's at the end of his life. 
We know that because of what he's just said. Just a few verses earlier, he said, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is near. And then he says that phrase, one of the most familiar phrases in all the Bible. I have fought the good. I have finished the. I have kept the. Yeah. He knew his time was coming to an end. And he's finally in Rome. If you've studied the Apostle Paul, you, you know he wanted to go to Rome. All of his ministry, he wanted to go to Rome. He, he talked about, Rome, I long to be with you. In fact, you've got somewhere like that. Maybe not as deeply spiritual as Paul, but there's somewhere you want to go. So get it in your mind, where you want to go. I'm going to ask you on the count of three just to say it out loud. Where it is you want to go. One, two, three. I heard Israel. Last service I heard Australia. That would be a fun one, wouldn't it? I didn't hear a lot of you. Paul had wanted to go to Rome. He's finally there. But his circumstances are different from what he had dreamed. He wasn't there as a preacher. He was there as a prisoner. Be careful what you pray for. Sometimes God will answer your prayers, but in different ways than you might have expected. But remember this, regardless of your situation, God's never caught off guard by your circumstances. As a friend of mine used to say, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? He never says, whoa, I didn't see that coming. So Paul finds himself in Rome. And in prison, he writes a lot of the words that we read. He wrote the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philemon. And he wrote this letter to Timothy that we have in 2 Timothy. He did more, go, more good going to Rome God's way than he would have done going his way. And the same is true of you too. God's plan is always better than our plan. I have five children and a wonderful daughter-in-law. If there's something I could shout to that generation that's coming behind me, it would be in the midst of life's disappointments. Know this, God's plan is always better than our plan. You may not understand. You may not see the plan. You, you may can't trace his hand. But you can trust his heart. Why is that true? It's because God's always working his way, what's best for his kingdom. And we know that too because Paul wrote that from this jail to Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. Oh, that that would be said of us. Whatever happens in our life, that whatever has happened, God is using it to make his name great. He's using it to build his church. He's using it to advance the gospel. Oh, that that would be so. Are you using your circumstances to advance the gospel? Paul's in prison in Rome, writing to his mentee, Timothy. And what does he say? Twice. Do you remember? Do your best. Let's say it again. Do your best. There's an urgency in Paul's words. 
When he says it the second time, he adds that phrase, come before winter, get here soon. Why? Well, as we've already mentioned, Paul knew his time was running out. I've got some news for you. Buckle up, buttercup. Your time is running out. Whether you're 7 or 70, your time is running out. I love occasionally looking back at the life clock where it takes a 24-hour period of time and imagines where we are in life. So the day begins when? At 12 a.m.? If you're 20 years old, raise your hand if you're 20. No 20-year-olds in here? Oh, okay, one, two, okay, a couple of 20-year-olds. If you're 20 years old, it's 6, 17 a.m. 30-year-olds, let me see your hand. 30-year-olds, okay, we got, if you're 30 years old, it's 9, 28 a.m. 40-year-olds, all right, if you're 40 years old, 12.38 p.m. 50-year-olds. Now we're shy just to raise our hand. 50-year-olds, 3.47 p.m. 60-year-olds, 6.56 p.m. 70-year-olds, it's 10.06 p.m. If you're 75 or above, 75 or above, 75 11.41 p.m. I'm, I'm just telling you, time is running out. Then what? Well, Hebrews 9.27 says, just as people are destined to die once, after that comes a judgment. You see, the reality is time is running out. One day we'll all stand before God and we will account for how we've lived this life. Regardless of our age, regardless of the stage, we will die once and then we'll stand before God. Paul's time was running out, so he had a personal reason for asking Timothy to come urgently, but he also had a practical reason. Ephesus, where Timothy was, was 1,500 miles from Rome. And he says, come before winter. Why? Because he knew that the only way he could get there was the passageway through the sea. And what would happen to the sea sometime between November and March? It would freeze up. And there would be no way for Timothy to get to him. He was saying, hey, the doors of opportunity are closing quickly. I just, I need to tell you, on this first Sunday of a new year, there are doors of opportunity in your life that are closing quickly. God is giving you opportunity to do things today that if you don't respond to, you may never have that same opportunity again. I know what it's like not to walk through the doors of opportunity. Anybody else? To live with regret and disappointment. And wish I'd, you know what wish I'd is, wish I'd done this or wish I'd done that. In the winter months, the trade route would freeze over. It would become impassable. So Paul urged his young protege, Timothy, do your best, get here before winter. Now, when we read any passage of Scripture, this is a teaching moment. I just want to remind you, every time you open the Bible, you look at it through three lens. You look at the specific message 
at a moment in time. So this is a real man named Paul who was a missionary, a church planter, a follower of Jesus. He had a mentee who was a real man named Timothy who was a pastor. And he was saying to Timothy, let's say it together, do your best. But there's always a general message. The general message is there for all of the kingdom of God. And so think about that. As we read the Bible, there's a message for everybody. Do your best. There are things in everybody's life where we can agree. We need to do our best in this area. Say, do your best. But there's always a third lens. Never read the scripture without thinking about this lens. What is God saying to me? What's the personal message? Where is God saying, Paul, do your best. Mike, do your best. Linda, do your best. What is God saying to you? I want you to think about that as you ask that question today. Am I doing my best for the glory of God? Now, really, Paul has been saying this throughout all of his writings, all of his ministry. He's been saying the same thing. You need to act quick because we don't know when things are going to change. In chapter 4 alone, he's told them four reasons they need to do their best. Number one, do your best in light of apostasy. Do you know what apostasy is? Apostasy is those that walk away from a faith in Jesus Christ. Do you think that's relevant today? Did you know one of the biggest terms over the last year when you talk about Christian terminology is the term deconstruction? Because so many people have begun to talk about how they're deconstructing the faith that they had. They're walking away. Those who study sociology tell us that the largest group of religious preference now in our country are the nuns. You know what the nuns are? Not N-U-N-S, not the Catholic nuns. The N-O-N-E-S. Those who say they have no religion or religious preference. We live in a day where we need to do our best in light of apostasy. But he also says you need to do your best in light of adversity. In other words, it's not always going to be easy to follow Christ. You may encounter persecution because of what you believe in Jesus. Do you think that's relevant today? This means yes. Sure it is. Now Jesus would say, hey, come to me, lay your cares on me because my burden is easy. In other words, the pathway to Jesus is easy. He's not going to put a standard on you that you can't do by his grace. However, when you walk the narrow path of Christ, there will be people in your little corner of the world, that say, nah, I'm against you. He said, do your best in, in light of adversity. Let me just give you one more. He said, do your best in light of eternity. Because he reminded them over and over again that this world is not our home. How many of you know this world is not our home? But if you're a Christ follower, we're heading home, Right? And so we want to take steps in that direction, preparing for eternity. And in our church, we've been learning that Scripture teaches, not only are we headed home, Jesus is coming back. Aren't you grateful for that truth? We don't know when, but he's coming back. 
if you hang out here much, you know that my sweet mama sitting here on the front row, she reminds me regularly that Jesus is coming soon. She's been away for a few weeks up in South Carolina. I was driving her back on a Friday of this week, and as we were making that three-and-a-half-hour drive, somewhere in our conversation, even on Friday, she said, I just want you to know, I believe Jesus is coming soon. <laughs> I said, I know, Mom. So did the Apostle Paul. And so he challenged us to live with eternity in our mind. But he also gave some specific challenges. And so I want to deal with those, but I, I want to first ask you, why do you think we don't do our best more often? I've got an answer. Because I've been doing this a, a few days, and as you say where I grew up, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I think we're too busy doing the wrong things. I think our priorities aren't right. Too busy to read the Bible, too busy to wait and pray, too busy to speak out kindly to someone who passes by the way, too busy working and worrying to think of life to come, too busy building earthly mansions to plan for heaven above, too busy to help a brother who faces trials and suffering woes, too busy to share his burden, no time. I'm busy, you know. Too busy... For all that is holy on earth beneath the sky. Too busy to serve the master, but not too busy to die. Our time is running out. We can't afford to be too busy. So let's learn from the great apostle, all right? Three things. Do your best. Number one, do your best relationally. As I read through this chapter again, I'm just reminded that Leadership can be lonely. And all of you are leading somewhere in your little corner of the world. And so you face this on some level. Paul is dealing with this. I mean, goodness, we hear specific names of people who have left him high and dry. We hear another name of somebody that really hurt him. And then we hear some other names that we know something's not quite right. We're not sure why they're in the list. I'll never forget, several years ago, I had the opportunity to sit under Dr. Adrian Rogers. He had been a distant hero of mine. He had pastored Bellevue Baptist Church, this incredible church in Memphis, Tennessee, a national worldwide television program, an author, great preacher. He had retired, and about six months before he died, I was down in Naples, Florida with a group of pastors that just kind of sat under him for a few hours. And someone raised their hand and they said, Dr. Rogers, what's the most difficult thing you've experienced in ministry? He didn't miss a beat. This is what he said. He said, it's, it's people. He said, you give your lives. You're there when their children are born. You're, you're there when their children are married. You're, you're there when their parents die. And then they get mad over something silly in the church. They walk out and leave. And often they stab you in the back on their way out. That wise man died six months later. But I've never forgotten those words. Just of the challenges that we have in relationships. Paul was experiencing loneliness in a tangible way. I mean, just think about that. This man had encountered the living Christ. We would not have the New Testament as we have it today were it not for his faithful obedience. 
He started all these churches. And yet here at the very end, we hear that he's lonely and that it's hard. We see a list of names. Good for Luke, right? Only Luke is with me at the end. We don't hear a lot about Luke. I think his name's only mentioned this way three times in scriptures. And yet he wrote the longest gospel, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. What a man! Luke was there. By the way, let me give you a reminder of something we all need in life. This is like a freebie, but I would write it down. We all need a Paul. We all need somebody that's further along in the journey than us. Regardless of your age, you need somebody a little more mature in the faith that'll challenge you, that'll encourage you, that'll bring you on to that next level. Oh, we all need a a Timothy. A Timothy is that person that, now, they may be doing the same thing we are, but they're, they're a little behind us. A few years ago, God introduced a guy named Alan into my life. He was a pastor on the other side of Florida, about 15 years younger than me, doing a great job. But we built a relationship, and he began to look at me as his Paul, and I began to look at him as a Timothy. Now he pastors one of the largest churches in our state, and he's just doing a great job. But, man, I just love the relationship that we have, kind of back and forth with experience and, and, and life's journey. And everybody needs a Luke, right? Boy, I pray that you make it to the end with a Luke, somebody that's there to the end, who's loyal, who's faithful. Man, my Luke's named Rodney. Rodney was born two weeks before me, March 2nd, 1969. So we hung out in the nursery. Don't remember much about that, but all through school we hung out. He went to a different college, and and then we met back up at seminary. We we roomed together as we were in seminary there in graduate school until I met and married Kimberly, and she kicked Rodney out. (laughs) I'm glad you did. Everybody needs a Luke. I would just encourage you as you start this year, begin to say, who, who's in my life that's making a difference? And, and notice, he mentions Mark. You're familiar with Mark. We read the Gospel of Mark. Mark was the cousin of Barnabas, John Mark. And Mark was another little apprentice of Paul. And Paul took him on that first missionary journey, but uh-oh, they had some kind of disagreement. Let me see your hand if there's somebody you love that you've had a disagreement with. That should be all of us. Raise your hand, people. Yeah, that's just life, because we're sinners, right? And so we, we stand our ground, somebody else stands their ground, and next thing you know, we're standing against each other, and that's what happened. So it came time for another trip, and Barnabas says, hey, don't forget Mark. And Paul says, I ain't taking Mark. That guy's a nut. We just, we just, no, no, Mark's not coming. And Barnabas said, oh, come on, Paul, you got to take Mark. Paul said, no, we're not. So Barnabas says, okay, I'm going with Mark. And they go different ways. And now here at the end of his life, his time's running out. What does he say? Oh, Timothy, go get Mark. I sure love that guy. He's he's so helpful to me. Yeah. And then we got the stinkers in the list. We won't waste time on them. But listen, there are going to be people in your life that let you down. There are going to be people that walk out on you. God knows. In fact, Paul addresses that, doesn't he? He he says, they're they're going to have to stand before the Lord. What can we learn practically from this? 
Because that's what I, I want to help you with. And I just want to apologize in advance. This is not seminary level. This is bring it on home to me level. You ready? I'm going to give you three things. First one is this. Be kind. Say be kind. You can do it. You'll stand out in this world if you just decide to be a kind person. In fact, just smile a little more, right? Hey, do this with me. Take this finger. Everybody do this. Take this finger. Now aim them this way. Put them right here. Push up. Oh, you look so much better. And here's the good news. That took less muscle work than it does to frown. Just smile. Be kind. I love Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Just choose kindness. That'll make a difference. Number two, assume the best. Some of you need to build a bridge and get over it. You are a conspiracy theorist. You think everybody in the world is out to get you. And they're out to get everybody else. I've got two words for you. Stop it. Just stop it. Begin to see people as Jesus saw people. Remember when he was standing above, above Jerusalem looking at the crowd? The crowd of people, many of whom would stand in front of him later and say, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus, it says, looked at this city and the Bible tells us he was gutturally moved with compassion. Ask God to help you see people as he sees people. Assume the best. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Don't think everybody is out to get you. Number three, forgive freely. Because you need it. Just become a forgiver. Learn to live in such a way that you keep a short list of accounts. I've told you this before, but I remember years ago asking Jesus to give me a short list of accounts. In other words, help me not to be a person that holds on to bitterness and grudges. And he answered that prayer partially. He just gave me a short memory. <laughs> But ask God to help you become a person who forgives. All right, that's our longest one. Do your best relationally. Now, this is easy. Do your best practically. Do your best practically. I love what Paul says. Hey, Tim, bring me my coat. Why did he need a coat? Because winter was coming and he was going to be cold. He said, bring me my coat. Bring me the stuff I like to read, the books, the parchments. I've got a news flash for you. Not everything in your life is deeply spiritual. I come in contact with people and I challenge them, sometimes maybe in a counseling setting, and I tell them something basically that they need to do to make their life better, and they'll say something like this, well, I'll pray about it. And I'm thinking, you don't need to pray about it. This is what you need to do. So Paul, the great apostle, has these practical needs. <laughs> Bring me my coat. I'm cold. Bring me my books. I want to read. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts on this. Make a decision to do things today that are going to make you more healthy tomorrow. Did you hear that? Decide to do things today 
that are going to make you more healthy tomorrow. So for some of you, that needs to start in just a few minutes. You don't need to eat what you're dreaming about eating for lunch while I'm talking. You're not eating right. In fact, some of you, whether you've got a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or whatever, you just need to go out and walk. And if you don't have something on your arm to count your steps, don't worry about it. Just get some activity in your life. Do things that are going to make you more healthy as an individual. Secondly, determine to be a lifelong run learner. Don't you love the fact that the Apostle Paul is saying, bring this stuff that I can read. Now, I believe part of that was the scriptures, the parchments of scriptures. But he uses two different words, so it wasn't just the scriptures. We've taught our children that leaders are readers. Are you a reader? Are you seeking to grow in your understanding of this world? Or are you bringing all your knowledge from Fox News or MSNBC? Don't do that. Decide to be a giver. Give generously to others. Stop holding on so tight. So do your, set, do your best relationally. Do your best practically. And then here's the third thing. Do your best spiritually so at the end of his life his message was true his his message that had been the same throughout his ministry you know what he said but the lord but the lord will rescue me so the lord will be with you paul was all about the lord I'm not really big on resolutions. In fact, even goals are so often unmet by me. I'm hesitant to talk about those. Can I just give you something simply that you should aim for? Just make the Lord the priority in your life. Live in such a way that people may or may not remember you, but they remember Jesus in you. As I'm reading through the scriptures, you know what I'm finding? People always knew those who had been with Jesus. When you come to church, this isn't about who's singing on the stage. It's, it's not about who's preaching. It's not about us hearing you sing or, or you talk. This is about the Lord. That's what we pray every time before we come in here. Oh, that they would see Jesus. Make that your goal. There are some things you can aim for spiritually. Let me make this list easy. Number one, become a lifelong follower of Christ. In a group this large and others that will hear or see this message, there are definitely some who hear it that are not followers of Christ. I'm not talking about being religious or going through rituals. I'm talking about stepping across that faith line, understanding that the death of Christ on the cross was so that you could have a relationship with God through Jesus. Become a lifelong follower of Christ. Why? Because time is running out. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Let me see if I can illustrate that. If you're here and you became a follower of Jesus, listen carefully. If you became a follower of Jesus at the age of 12 or under, would you just stand up wherever you are right now, quickly, all across this room. Just look around the room. Wow. Praise the Lord. Still standing. Praise the Lord. 
age 12 or under. By the way, that's why as a church, we've got to continue to invest in children's ministry and preschool ministry and student ministry because this is a vital time. Okay, you guys be, sit down. You're about to see something. Now, if you became a follower of Christ between the age of 12 and 25, you stand up. Still a good group, right? That's why student ministry and college ministry is so important. We have a chance to reach back and make a difference in this next generation. Okay, sit down. Now, if you became a follower of Christ sometime between the age of 25 and 60, so I widened the range, but 25 and 60, stand up. All right? It's great. Praise the Lord. You guys came followers of Jesus as adults, but look how much smaller the crowd guy. All right? Sit down. Now, if you became a follower of Christ above the age of 60, you stand up right now. I'm so thankful for George and Linda and Ron and Carl and Linda over here, all my friends, part of this church. You can sit down, but see how small the number gets. Oh, friends, I'm not trying to scare you because that doesn't work. But I want you to hear with compassion in my heart, time is running out. And I so respect if you were unable to stand in that, that you, you, you didn't just stand because others were. But if you were not able to stand, that means you need to become a follower of Jesus. And, and I believe today can be the day of your salvation. But a lot of you are followers of Christ. So here's a second thing. Become a fully devoted disciple of Jesus. Take your discipleship seriously. Get into God's Word. Find a way to just pour into the Scriptures. Grow in your faith. If you're at the same place today as you were on the first Sunday of January of last year, then you're not doing it right. Ask God to change that. Grow as a disciple of Jesus. Number three, become a persistent prayer. That's one of my desires for this year. Zach and I have been talking for two weeks. I want to be like that persistent widow that just kept going back to the judge and the gospels and was unwilling to stop until they got the response. I want to cry out to God so persistently in prayer that he answers in a way that gives him greater glory. Become a faithful steward. Make sure you're using your resources in a way that, that honors God. Do you really think he's given you what He's given you just so that you can build a bigger house or drive a nicer car or wear fancier clothes? Are you investing in his kingdom? And then become a daily witness. This is where probably most of us need some work because if I'm talking to you, we're doing this part okay. We're gathering together. But that's just like one iota. That's like one sliver of the Christian journey. That's why we say as a church, we are broken people. But together we're creating God's mosaic in Jesus Christ. But we do that by by meeting needs and by healing hurts and by speaking his word. But that's just not something we do at this place. We do that every day. We're gathered as a church right now. But in just a couple of moments, we're going to scatter. And you are the church. Be a witness for Jesus right where you are every day. Do your best spiritually. But here's the problem. When it comes to this last one, spiritually, 
our best will never be enough, right? Because we don't have it on our own. I'll never be good enough. I can't do it without His grace. And so, don't miss this. This is one of my favorite things. This message has been brewing for a couple of weeks, and this is one of my favorite parts. So, don't miss this. The last words of maybe the greatest Christian who ever walked the earth, the Apostle Paul, his last words to you and me. Did you catch it? Grace be with you all. He knew we couldn't do it without God's grace. That's why he would tell us in Ephesians chapter 2, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, say grace. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Say grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace. Say that word. You have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Freely bestowed on all who believe. All who are longing to see his face. Will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace. God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. Would you bow your heads with me right where you are? Oh, in just a moment, we're going to sing a blessing from the Lord, but not less Let's not miss this opportunity to respond to his goodness and grace. Some of us need to do what I did personally in this last service. You may just need to come and kneel. And, and there's nothing magical. This, this is a gym stage. But you can make it like your personal prayer bench today and just kneel here at the front and say, God, I just want to drive down a practical, tangible stake saying, I'm, I'm taking your grace seriously and I'm, I want to be better in this year for your glory. I want to do my best relationally. I want to do my best practically. I want to do my best spiritually by your grace for your glory. But there's somebody here that's never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know you're here because I've prayed for you to be here. And God answers prayers like that. I've prayed before we ever came in this room that he would begin to call you by his Holy Spirit to salvation. And so for somebody, this is not just the day. This is the moment of salvation. And there's no magic prayer or religious ritual that you have to do to be saved. The Bible says it's this simple. Get ready. It's crazy. Call on the name of the Lord you'll be saved Paul put it this way in Romans he says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, if, if you say that Jesus is Lord and you believe that he did what he said he did, listen to the next words, you will be saved. So here's what I would say to you. If you don't have that confidence of your eternal salvation today, why not call on the name of the Lord? And you don't need a pastor or a priest to do that. But I'm happy to help you. This is a way you can pray. You can just say to God right now, Dear Jesus, just you and him, Jesus, I need you. Just tell him I need you. I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe you died for me. And I know you're alive. So this is my moment. I'm turning to you. I'm following you, Jesus, from now into forever. Just tell it. I say thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed for a moment more. I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you or draw attention to you, but I want to welcome you into God's family. If you did what I believe is the most important thing anyone can do, you just prayed that prayer with me right where you're seated. Would you just slip your hand up and slip it right back down? If you did that, it's the most important thing you could do. That's great, guys. That's awesome. That's awesome. There in the back, that's incredible. Welcome to God's family. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to end this prayer. I'm going to say amen. When I do that, we're going to stand up. We're going to sing with our team this wonderful song of blessing. I, I want you to know God is for you. But as we sing this, pastors from our church are going to be standing here in the front. And they're, they're here to receive you if you just want a pastor to pray with you. If you prayed that prayer to begin a relationship with Christ, I'd love for you to come tell one of them that you did that. Maybe you just want to come and kneel here. Whatever your need, I want you to experience the blessing of God in this moment. So, Father, that's our heart's cry. Oh, we love you. Thank you for your word. We have feasted on your word, even from what seemed like a list of names and some practical application. God, you have helped us to understand that we can be our best for your glory. So, Lord, as we seek to live by your grace, we rest in the promise of your blessing. Lord, I pray for those who've gathered here. May you bless them. May you keep them close. May your face shine upon them. May you guide them in the path of peace. And oh Lord, may you do that not just today, but for generations in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship him. Lord bless you.